0: So we finished our series, The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength. Fatian from uh, Albania. Pastor Fatian was here last week. How would you like Pastor Fatian? That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Woo! I like that guy. I like that guy. And uh, so now we're going to start a new series, and we are calling it Disciple. A new series called Disciple. So let's pray, and we will get into our brand new series, Disciple. Father, I thank You today for Your Holy Scriptures. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I ask You to bless our time now. Father, give me the words to speak out what You have. Help us to see what Your Scriptures have to say. And Lord, help us to grow in understanding uh, of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of You. Help us to see through all the other things and see directly to You, to Your ways, to, to connecting with You. So just bless our time now. Bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, let's just jump right into it. We got ourselves a very important scripture in Matthew 28:18 through 20. It's called the Great Commission. How many people are familiar with the Great Commission? Give me a hand raise if you are familiar with the Great Commission. Here we go. We're going to read it Matthew 28:18 through 20. This is Jesus has been crucified. He has risen from the dead, and he's hanging out with the disciples. Now, this is an interesting little period of time. So, imagine, they were, of course, dramatically distraught when Jesus was crucified. Then He rose from the dead, and they're like, Whoa, this is amazing! Imagine the weight of the words He would have spoken after the resurrection. I mean, when somebody is an interesting teacher and does miracles and you you listen to them when they're alive, that you think, yeah, better pay attention. But when they're crucified, and then they rise back to life again, and then tell you things, now you're really listening, right? Now you're like, oh my goodness. This gave the disciples tremendous courage. If you remember Peter, on the day of the crucifixion, Peter denied Christ three times. He was scared because he thought, these people are going to get me too. And I don't know what's going on. Then he saw the risen Christ. He was like, oh, you've conquered death. I don't need to be so concerned. So then on the day of Pentecost, he stands up in front of the whole group, thousands of people, and he says, this is, this is the power of God defending Jesus who you crucified. He just lays it out there. 3,000 people get saved on that one day. He had the courage to face all those people who were opposing him, because he had seen the resurrected Christ. And this is what the resurrected Christ said to the disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the of the age. He says to do three things. Go and make disciples. Go make disciples. Not go and make fans of your church. Not go and make people who agree with various statements but you never could tell by their life. Go and make disciples. Then baptize them. And then teach them to do the things of God. Teach them to obey everything I, that's Jesus speaking, teach them to obey everything that I, Jesus, have commanded you. And then there's the promise that He will be with us. Isn't it great to not be alone? I am so thankful that I can walk through this life and not be alone. That I always have the Lord with me. I love that Footprints poem. Most people are familiar with the Footprints poem. You know, it's like, This guy was going through this horrible time and it used to be he saw his footprints and Jesus' footprints in the sand and then there was this terrible time in his life and he saw only one set of footprints and he says, hey, how come you abandoned me and made me walk alone through that hard time? He said, you weren't walking alone through that hard time. I was carrying you. That's why there's one set of footprints. We never have to walk alone. One of the things that that I know is, yeah, okay, we'll have troubles in this life. We'll weep in this life, but we'll never weep alone because the living God will be with us, caring for us and hurting with us. So He will be with us, but He's given us a job. He's given us a commission. He's told us to do something, go and make disciples. I'm not going to trick you. If my wife was here, she'd be very proud of me. Because I would normally ask people a question, is there a difference between a disciple and a Christian? Is there a difference between the two? You know, like, if you ask somebody, are you a Christian? They're pretty quick to say yes. You ask them, are you a disciple? They're like, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Well... In the Bible, Christian and disciple are the same thing. There is no distinction. It's a false distinction. To think that you can be a Christian but not a disciple is just simply not the case. So, in order to be a Christian, you must be a disciple of Christ because that's what that means. Christian means. A disciple of Christ, a a Christian, a Christian, is a follower, a Christ-like person, a disciple of Christ. So that distinction is a false distinction. Um, Now there are some differences. There's a difference between a disciple and an apostle. There's a difference between a disciple and a prophet. You know, those sorts of things. Uh, There are distinctions inside the body of Christ. But there isn't this deal of, well, you got the disciples who take Jesus seriously, and then you've got the Christians who are just sort of hanging around. You know, that really don't take it very seriously, but they kind of acquiesce to the basic truths of it. There isn't that distinction. There isn't that group of people who just sort of like are on the fringe and don't really care, but they sort of agree to it. That, you know, that idea of what a Christian is, it's just not real. That's just a non-Christian. You've got disciples, and then you've got these other types of disciples, like apostles, prophets, uh, different people like that. Now, should I trick you with this one? No? We'll find out. <laughs> is everyone called to full-time ministry? No! Of course not. Everybody is called to full-time Christianity. Everybody is called to full-time being a disciple of Jesus. You're called to full-time Christianity, but that doesn't mean you're called to full-time ministry. You very well, the vast majority of Christians don't go into full-time ministry. Now they're serving God seven days a week. But they're not starting churches, they're not moving to Africa, they're not, they're just living their life. The life God has set before them. That's what they're doing. A full-time Christian, but not in full-time ministry. So let me take the pressure off of you. That if you're gonna be a disciple of Christ, it doesn't mean you have to move to Africa. Okay? You're probably gonna keep your job, live the same life with a few subtle adjustments unless you, you got some real good work that's necessary. You know, it, when we read the Great Commission, baptize them, you know, I always try to figure out who I'm baptizing and how long I need to hold them under. You know, to make sure. Cause it's like, yeah, it's gonna, gonna Alright, that's probably good. You know, it's it's really important, you know, so just letting you know. When I got baptized, the dude helped me there for a long time. He's like, you need to be down there for a while. That's how I learned these things. So, he's like, take a deep breath. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Amen. So, there's all these differences. Now, you're either a disciple... Follower of Christ, or you're just not. Let's look at Titus 1.16. I'll let Titus say the mean things for me this morning. Titus 1.16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. Is it possible to claim God, but to deny Him by what you do? It is. If you say all the right things, but you're not living the life for Christ, you're not following Christ. You're just saying you are. I mean, if if Aaron was to to walk up the stairs and out the door, and I said, Aaron, I will follow you up the stairs and out the door, and Aaron walked up the stairs and out the door, and I stayed right here and said, I'm a follower of Aaron. Would I be a follower of Aaron? No, I'd just be saying I am. So if Jesus says, come do these things, And we say, yes, we will. But we don't. Are we following Him? No. By our actions, we are denying Him. Then He says other mean things in that verse, but I won't read that. That's there. All right. So do you see that this is a false distinction? That it's not that there are the group of really dedicated Christians who are called disciples, and then you've got everybody else. It's that there's just disciples. You're either a disciple or you're not. So, The big question then is, what does it look like to be a disciple? Picture in your mind a disciple. Okay. Now, for how many people were there robes and sandals involved in the picture? Do you have robes and sandals? We've got some people with robes and sandals. Okay, so in order to be a disciple in 2014 in Minnesota, do you need to get some sandals and get a robe and maybe have one of those staffs with the, with the thing on it so you can hit animals and stuff. Do you need that to be a disciple? No, of course not. So we need to understand what a disciple is. You don't need to move to Africa. You don't need to wear sandals. You know, what is a disciple? What does this look like? How do we understand it? How do we how do we follow Christ? That's what we're going to deal with in this series is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in 2014 in America? How do we do that? What does it look like? I'm going to give you some tools for figuring that out. Today, we're going to work on the tools. Got to get your tool belt ready. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to use those tools on specific circumstances. Like for example, we'll we'll talk we'll take a Sunday and we'll talk about uh vocal gifts, like prophetic words, speaking in tongues, and all of this crazy stuff, and we're gonna put that in there. We're gonna use our tools on it, and we're gonna find out what of this is of God and what isn't. How does this work? What's the right thing, the right way to understand this, and where's the wiggle room and where isn't there wiggle room? Do you know there's wiggle room? with Jesus, depending on the situation. Interesting stuff. So, I won't, I won't get too deep into that, but again, read uh, Romans 14 especially. That will help you understand the wiggle room. So let's work on these tools. So we're going we're gonna to make a distinction between four separate categories. Category number one is disciple. This is discipleship. This is following Christ. Category 1, disciple. I'm going to define a disciple as someone who walks in the ways of God, who lives out the ways of God, who is is doing things God's way. A disciple is someone who follows the ways of God. Do you want to know the ways of God? We can know and live out the ways of God. We can live out a godly life, and that's a good thing. As it makes, we'll we'll talk about prosperity as one of our weeks as well. How do we apply these tools to prosperity and personal self-image to joy and those sorts of things? How do we understand that? Some people think if I'm going to follow God completely, live a godly life, it's going to be a miserable, horrible, rotten existence where I'm just going to suffer all the time. Well. No, especially in America. I mean, you go to Iraq, and uh, you might have some more difficulty. We live in the United States. I can preach here with impunity. You know, it's perfectly fine. Nobody's going to steal all my property. I'm not going to go to jail. This is really a pretty nice place to be a Christian. It's great. So, uh, we're going to talk about all these different things as time goes on, and we're going to put them in these categories, different facets of these different things, we can understand things. So, discipleship is, or disciple, one who follows the ways of God. That's who I want to be. Now, the next one, the next category we're going to call church culture. Did you know that the ways of God and church culture aren't necessarily exactly the same? In fact, they don't even have to overlap at all. <laughs> <laughs> we want them to, and we hope that they overlap significantly. But the truth of the matter is you can do church without God. You know what? Yeah, they're looking at me. They're like, well, I don't know. What are you talking about? Alright, well, let's uh let's look at a church culture situation from the New Testament. And we're gonna talk a little bit about now, because we can get into the wrong impression with some of this stuff. But Mark seven Jesus is uh, dealing with some Pharisees and they had a particular way that they thought things need to be happened. They had a a form of ceremonial washing that was really important for them. It didn't actually accomplish a task. It just was a ritual. So it didn't get rid of the germs. It just was a, a ritual thing. Mark 7, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his, of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Then they come from the, uh, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers. And kettles. So I tell my wife, doing the dishes is against the Bible. You know, it's not, it's not biblical. No. That would go probably in category number three that we're going to talk about here. So, (laughs) ah. No, she wasn't. Ah. Then we're making the boys do it. So, it is biblical. The boys must do the dishes. The men do the coffee. You know, men make the coffee in heaven. It's in the book of Hebrews where it describes That's a. Isn't that bad? That's terrible. Terrible. She does need to come back. I'm starting to slip. Alright, so, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? I'm mad at you guys. You're doing this wrong. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees was your church culture is not the ways of God. Your church culture is just a bunch of rules that you've made up. You've let go of God's law and you've put in your own law. You're just doing your own thing. And this is a very significant problem. He called them hypocrites. He said all kinds of rough things there. He said they worship in vain. Is it possible to worship in vain? Mean that you go to church, you're doing all that thing, but it amounts to nothing. It is possible if you miss the ways of God. And you're just in a church culture that does not connect with the ways of God. And so, there's a distinction between being a disciple, walking in the ways of God, versus church culture, and just the ways of men, the traditions of men. So we'll call that um, the traditions of men. So, don't get confused though about old versus new. Jesus isn't saying the old stuff is bad and the new stuff is good. That's not what He's saying. He's saying when you get off of the ways of God onto anything else, be it old or new, you're missing You're missing the mark. You're off. Trinette and I, we always laugh because in our type of uh, church culture, the Assemblies of God and the the Pentecostal evangelical world, um, all the cool speakers have a uniform. You know, we always, me and Trinette, we call it the uniform. You've got to have the the faded jeans, you know, with the little creases and stuff. And, uh, And you have to have an embroidered shirt that buttons down the front that you either leave all the way down or you flip up once. You can do that. And you have to have a $200 haircut. If you, if you got that, that's the uniform, you're good to go. You can go be a preacher. Go be a preacher, man, because you got the uniform. Now, that's very different from, you know, robes and a hat and incense and all that. It's a very different deal. Is the embroidered shirt and the fancy pants and all that stuff, is that the of God stuff? Absolutely not. That's just trying to be cool. right? I mean, it's trying to be cool. It's not necessarily evil to be cool, but it's not the stuff of God. Yeah, trying to be relevant. Right. I heard the best definition of relevant in my life when I went to a, uh, a seminar several years ago because uh, I'd always wondered about that relevancy thing. You know, you got to preach relevant. you got to connect with the culture. You know, you got to meet the people where they're at. So I always thought, well, okay, how much do you bend? Why do you bend? And this uh, this couple, they said, here's our definition of relevant. You need to get their attention by speaking their language and then you need to tell them the truth. I'm like, that I can do. <laughs> I can speak their language and then tell them the truth. That sounds good to me. It's not about bending. It's about speaking the right language and speaking the truth. That type of relevant I like. But the other type of relevant, just trying to fit into the ungodly culture, you can slip off of the things of God pretty quick. And all you are is just kind of a cool club where you got this little bit of godness as a garnish over the top of it to make people's parents feel better, but the rest of it is just a big mess and it's got nothing to do with God. That's a church culture that's slipped away from God. So it doesn't have to be old traditionalism, it can be new coolness and be off of God just as much. So that's church culture. Um, and I'll, I'll define that as people who follow the traditions of men. And you can kind of tell that there's a pressure to, to be like everybody else, to do things the same way. To, to be, you gotta wear the fancy pants and the button-up shirt, you know, whatever the case may be. The, there's a pressure there. Or, you know, you, whatever, you gotta follow these other traditions. But it's about the traditions, be they new or old, and that's church culture. So there's a distinction between being a disciple and being a person that's involved in church culture. The third distinction is itching ears. Itching It's good to have kids in church, amen? Amen. I like having kids in church, but we always need to understand what that means, and sometimes they'll make noises. So, I, I just help you. I have a microphone. I'll win. It'll be okay. Uh, but, anyway, it's always good. I always encourage moms of little kids that are noisy, because they always think, oh no, people don't like that. Nah. I like when people come to church. I like when babies come to church, even when they make noise, because you know what? They're growing up in church. And when they're four and five and six and seven, unless we're mean to the mom, they'll be in church. <laughs> and they'll learn the things of God when they're a kid. What an advantage that would be. Man. So, I love hearing that noise. Alright. Itching ears. This would be the opposite of itching ears, I guess. Itching ears. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Here, the apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. Uh, the Apostle Paul, mature Christian, done a lot of ministry, been through a lot of stuff. He's kind of mentoring Timothy, who's this young, up and coming ministry guy. And, and so he's kind of teaching him, how do you, how do you do this? How do you encourage others in the faith? And so we learn all kinds of wonderful things in 1st and 2nd Timothy about the Apostle Paul's mentorship of Timothy. And it's really, really neat, uh, to read that and understand what's going on. And here's what Paul has to say to Timothy. In Second uh, Timothy Chapter Four, in the presence of God and of Jesus I would say that backwards in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge: preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So category number three. Itching ears. We've got disciple, church culture, itching ears. Have you ever needed to hear something that you didn't want to hear? What if you could just find somebody else who would tell you the thing you did want to hear? Would you talk to them instead of talking to the person who was going to tell you the thing you didn't want to hear but that you needed to hear? In America today, we have what I would consider to be a free enterprise Christianity. You want to start a church, start it. You want to make up a list of doctrines, make them up you want to do whatever you want to do, you can do whatever you want to do. You can start a church in your house tonight. And you can have your own brand new whole thing all by yourself. You're the only one. It's a free market system. Just have at her. But that creates this just splash of options. All kinds of different stuff. It's just all over the place. And uh it's like going to the grocery store Have you ever gone to buy cereal? If you're not a cereal person, and your wife says, go get some cereal, and then you go to the aisle that has, it's the whole aisle. And you're like, I thought cereal was one thing. Cereal is 500 things. What am I supposed to do? Well, people think that about Christianity. Like, oh, I think I'm going to go to church. I should go to church. Well, there's 500 options. What am I supposed to do? There's all this stuff. It's just free market Christianity. Anybody can do whatever they want. Boom! Freedom of religion. That's good. Hallelujah. But it creates this just splash of everything. All these different teachers with all these different ideas, and you get to shop for the one you like. Right? I mean, you really don't have any other option. Do you? I mean, there's there's always that whole pray and let God lead you. But Realistically, you go to a few churches and you try to feel which one is right. That's how it goes. This can lead to following, instead of following the ways of God, and you're not really following a particular church culture because you're not letting it pressure you, you're just following your preferences. I prefer this. So I'm going to go here. I prefer this type of teaching. I prefer this type of music. Do you know what the top three reasons for somebody picking a new church are? Top three. Number three, availability of good parking. That's number three. It is number three. Number two, the comfort of the seats. And number one is the quality and style of the music. Is that category number one? I would put that in category number three. <laughs> I would put that in personal preference category. Now, here at Good Hope Church, we want to have great parking. And it's, it's on the plan for the addition. We want to have nice, close parking. I told that to the architect. I'm like, dude, that's number three. <laughs> you you got to get us good parking. Because it's not set up well. It's the big lump, you know, and, and, and there's certain slope rules and all this stuff. Like, you got to get parking. We're going to have nice chairs. I'm glad these chairs are here. Aren't these comfortable and wonderful? Yeah, hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with comfortable chairs. The music should be of a certain reasonable quality. It's difficult to worship God when there's terrible music going on. Isn't its not it? Isn't it? They look at me like, I can worship through anything. Well, hallelujah. Go ahead. That's great. You do it. You do it. That's awesome. But I tell you what, if that's all we're about, we're shallow, and it's just a church culture based on Meeting people's preferences so we can fill the building, but we've missed the things of God. Could that happen in today's free market Christianity? Oh, yes, it could. In fact, you go to seminars on how to find these people and get them in your church. That's how that, how it goes. It's okay to find them, get them in your church, then you gotta get them saved, make them a disciple, and get them walking in the ways of God. Amen? Come on. All right. All right. Category number four. I was hoping it was just three categories. I was fully prepared to do these three categories and talk about them for the whole series. Okay, let's look at this situation. Is this really discipleship stuff? Is this Ways of God? Or is it just church culture and just our traditions, you know? Or, or is it just preference? But there's a, there's a fourth category that's very, very important for us to talk about. Uh, and that is the category of ferocious wolves. Ferocious wolves. It's not just that sometimes people are dealing with their personal preferences or they're caught up in a culture and these things really aren't the ways of God. But they're not like evil. But then there's the ferocious wolves. A wolf dressed as a sheep who's got bad intentions. Have you ever sought the people of God, sought a person of God, and found evil there instead? There sometimes is evil. So we need to know is there something evil? Let's look at some scriptures dealing with this. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. I like the way he sets up this uh, section of Scripture. Who is wise and understanding among you? Are you wise and understanding? Yeah, of course I am. Especially if you're wanting to say you're somebody. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So we're looking at bitter envy and selfish ambition are not things we're going for, right? Now, I again, I, like I told you, I go to church growth conferences and these sorts of things. What do you think the first question is people ask me when we're talking about? Oh, you pastor there? Okay, blah, blah, blah. what's the first question? How big's your church? How many people are coming? How's it going? And that's an okay question to a certain extent, but it can, you know, like, oh wow, two hundred—that's great. We're at seventeen hundred. Oh that's great that's nice. You know like. <laughs> Yeah, 6 months in. But what? You know, no, I have there is one that's like 1700 but it's like 6 years in so you know that. Ah. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. This isn't described as off. This is described as evil. It's of the devil. That's bad news. Might there be church leaders who are trying to advance their church out of envy and selfish ambition. I think it's fairly prevalent. Especially in the the new church culture, uh, you know, the church plants and that sort of thing. It's about proving yourself, and so all the other church planters think you're cool, and whatever, and all that stuff. There can be envy and selfish ambition. Uh, How about one believer envying another believer in their ministry gifts or things like that and what is it what does it say that's not from heaven that's not the ways of God it's not even culture and preference it's evil it's disorder that's dangerous Now I tell you, we got to watch out for this because you can get a ferocious wolf growing in you and you don't mean to. You can have envy and selfish ambition. Oh yeah, well what about, when's my turn going to come? You can have that grow up in there and then all of a sudden you start biting people and guess what? You're the ferocious wolf. I think that one will sneak up on you. It's It's a dangerous one. They'll sneak up on you, and then you start biting people. You've got to look inside and see, is there a wolf in there? <laughs> if so, you've got to get rid of it. Because those wolves aren't the ways of God. They bite people. So, I will define ferocious wolf as one who follows dark motivations, even follows evil. So, and this is, all four of these are in the church world. So that's, I'm not describing the outside of the church world. In the church world, you've got disciples walking in the ways of God as best they can. You've got a church culture. You've got to wear the fancy pants and the embroidered shirt and be cool. You've got the preferences. Well, yeah, the parking lot was not that great. and My shoes are nice and I don't want them to walk on gravel. And then you've got the, the icky stuff. Even uh, Matthew 7, I didn't read that one yet. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This is where I get the name from Jesus. They are ferocious wolves. They're in the church world. They are false prophets. They're acting like Christian leaders but they're not serving Christ. They're not walking in His ways. They're walking in, say, selfish ambition and bitter envy. and So there's yuck there. And they bite you. Watch out for them. So be careful that... This doesn't sneak up on you as far as all of a sudden you get a ferocious wolf inside of you and you start attacking people that you should be defending. And also, don't be so naive as to think that there aren't wolves out there. As a pastor, I get to see all kinds of stuff. And you want to know a strategy of of perpetrators, of the bad guys, is to come to church... So that they, so that other people know they go to church, so that then people trust them. And then they have access to hurting people. I've had to deal with people here that are not here, and that's what they were trying to do. And so now they're not, because the shepherd guy with the stick has to hit the wolves, right? That's what you gotta do. You gotta hit the, you gotta hit them in the head with the stick. And you find out if they go bah, or if they go, you know. <laughs> so if, you hit, if I hit you in the head with a stick, you'll, you'll know. I'm just trying to find out what's going on. So you got you to do that. So there can be, don't be so naive as to think, oh, well, they go to church, they must be a perfect, wonderful human being. Not necessary. So those are our four categories. We're going to apply those to different things. We're going to try to find out what's the difference between all these deals in different scenarios. We want to find the ways of God. Because we don't want to be stuck in culture. We don't want to be stuck in preferences. And we certainly don't want to be on the wrong side. So I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close in prayer. Um, But this can seem like a lot to sort out, this uh, free market Christianity. There's just all kinds of churches all over the place and you might think to yourself, well, I can't find a good one so I'll start my own little group or whatever. So there's just all this stuff going on. How do you sort that out? Uh, well, of course, we're going to work through that over the next uh, several weeks. This may go all summer. You never know. I'm excited about it. i got lots of topics. Um, but the good news here is you don't have to be super smart to be able to figure this out. You just need to have the right spirit in you. Get the right spirit in you, and then you'll get that ooh kind of a feeling. Now there are other things that might be intimidating, but you know that's a God, i got to walk that way. There's other things you're like, ooh, that's there's it. there. You need to have that right spirit in you. And the way you get that in there, of course, is you ask Jesus into your heart. It's not enough to just have the ideas of God. We want the presence of God. We want to have His Spirit in us, ministering to our Spirit. So, if you are a follower of Christ, awesome. If you need to know how to do that, the prayer team, come and pray with these, uh, these prayer people. They will help you. Understand how to do that. How to ask Jesus into your heart. How to ask for forgiveness. How to say to the Lord, yes, I walk in your ways. Help me to do it. And then you can let the Holy Spirit be your God. And it won't be preference disguised as the Spirit, but it will really be the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. And believe God for good things. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You invite us to walk in Your ways. Help us to not miss that by just being caught up in our church culture. Help us to not miss that because of preferences. And help us, Lord, to not miss that because of the darkness that that is in Christian circles. Lord, give us the wisdom to see through all that stuff so we don't get taken by surprise and get hurt. Lord, I speak a blessing over each one that's in this place. Give us courage. Give us dedication to You. Help us to walk in Your ways. Father, for those who right now know they're supposed to come forward for prayer, I pray that You give them the courage to come forward. Lord, and, and for those who aren't going to come forward, Lord, just let Your light go with them. Let Your peace go with them. And let that shine in their world. So be with us, each one of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. If you'd like prayer, come on down. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord.